Have you ever just thought to yourself, why me? Why is life so unfair? What do other people see? When they watch me walk by, when I catch my reflection, people run like I have a contagious infection. But it's not my mental health. I know that can be crushing. I'm talking about plaque psoriasis. Bet you didn't see that coming. I'm sick of the judgment, the discomfort and itching. Vitama Cream is the once daily steroid-free treatment I know I've been missing. Vitama Tepinarov Cream 1% is a prescription topical treatment for adults with plaque psoriasis. Do not use if you're allergic to Vitama Cream. The most common side effects of Vitama Cream include red raised bumps around the hair pores, pain or swelling in the nose and throat, skin rash or irritation, including itching and redness, peeling, burning or stinging, headache, itching and flu. Tell your doctor about all the medicines you take and if you're pregnant or plan to be. Ask your doctor if Vitama Cream is right for you. You deserve more from your topical. To learn more, visit topicaluprising.com. The Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits, perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour, presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and 10 times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details. Thanks for listening to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. We upload new episodes every Monday and Friday. Be sure to listen to Uncaged Voice on Twitch or YouTube and listen to the Red Pill Current News Podcast on all major audio platforms every Wednesday and Saturday for current news and special interviews. Here are your hosts, Donny Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Welcome to Against the Mat Wrestling Podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, the Kentucky Guy. Along with Donnie Cage. Oh, Mr. Cage. How's it going, sir? Uh, it's going great, Kentucky Guy. How are you doing? Oh, man. I tell you what, if I was doing any better, I'd have to take a pill. <laughs> All right, folks. So if this is your first time listening, be sure to hit that follow or subscribe button. No matter which platform you're listening to us on. We're on 73 different audio platforms at this time, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Podbean, and the list goes on. Also, we do drop new episodes here every Monday and Friday. Also, Mr. Cage has his own podcast that he's a co-host of. Sir, go ahead and tell everybody about Uncaged Voice. If you have not been checking out the Uncaged Voice podcast, then you've been missing out. We just recorded a brand new episode on Friday night, which will be premiering very shortly. And if, you, if you'd like to follow our YouTube channel or check us out on Twitch, you can catch myself, Top Tier Rated, and Jigsaw Jester. That's the team that runs the Uncaged Voice podcast. And we have a great, great new episode for you to check out coming up. I also host against... Uh... 
the Red Pill Current News Podcast. And basically there we talk about current events, updates on world, politics, and the current news. We drop new episodes there every Wednesday and Saturday. Sometimes we do special reports. We've got a couple of those coming out next week in this beautiful, crazy world of ours. However, if you'd like to be a guest here on Against the Match Wrestling Podcast, you can, or you have any questions or comments for Donnie or myself, you can always email us at olkentucky99 at yahoo.com. That's olkentucky spelled out, 99 at yahoo.com. All right, so let's get into today's episode. We always start every episode the same way, and basically it's my fantasy booking. This is a segment that Mr. Cage came up with a while back last year, and I absolutely one of my favorite segments of the show. And we pick a superstar each, and we discuss how maybe we could have done that superstar's career different in the promotion that kind of dropped the ball. So as always, Mr. Cage, I'll go ahead and turn the segment over to you, sir. Thank you, Kentucky guy. Well, I'm going to take you uh, a little journey back to uh, to the 1980s and 90s in uh, professional wrestling, which was a very different time period, but nonetheless a golden age and boom period for the industry. And my pick for this week is Miss, is is the late but great Ray Fernandez, better known as Hercules Hernandez, the might and the mighty Hercules. This man worked for a lot of different promotions over the years. He originally got his start out in the NWA in the early 1980s, eventually worked his way to the World Wrestling Federation in 1985. He was originally managed by the likes of classy Freddie Blassie and Bobby the Brain Heenan, so he was a member of the famous Heenan family. And this guy had an amazing look and uh, incredible power. In fact, I think he was the first wrestler that I saw who really popular popularized the uh, the torture wreck, which was a move we later saw Lex Luger perform uh, when, when he debuted with the NWA. But uh, Hercules Hernandez also would carry that big metal chain around his neck and would often use it as a weapon against his opponents. But um, he had a famous uh, match in 1986 where he actually competed on Saturday night's main event and got a world title opportunity against Hulk Hogan. He came very close to beating Hogan on that night. There was a moment where where the referee thought Hogan had submitted in the torture rack, but he actually did not. So the match was the match continued and Hogan ended up retaining. And that was that was really the closest Hercules ever got to the main event in his WWF career. The years went on. He uh, briefly made it made a, a change into a into a babyface wrestler. Unfortunately, he really never rose above the mid-card there. Eventually, he was placed in a tag team with Paul Roma, tag team called Power and Glory, which I think was a very underrated tag team. And honestly, if it wasn't for the presence of other tag teams like the Hart Foundation and the Legion of Doom and Demolition, Power and Glory probably would have had a lot more success. I do think WWE in some ways missed, missed the boat there because they were a talented tag team. Well, anyway, in 1992, Hercules Hernandez left the WWF and signed with WCW, where he was given what I believe was one of the worst gimmicks in wrestling history. They put this stupid-looking mask and headband on him, said that he was from the Orient, and called him the Super Invader. Now, he was only with WCW for a few months, 
The highlight of his stay there was when he was a part of a Clash of Champions match where he teamed with the likes of Rick Rude, Jake Roberts, and Big Van Vader against a team captained by Sting. Eventually, he made his way to New Japan Pro Wrestling, and he teamed with the very successful Scott Flash Norton as a part of the Jurassic Powers, and they were actually the IWGP Tag Team Champions at one point. They faced teams like the Steiner Brothers, the Hellraisers, all sorts of teams over in New Japan. They, they, they made a big name for themselves. And um, Hercules, as I said, tragically passed away in 2004 at the age of 47, which is very unfortunate. And honestly, I just, I certainly feel like he could have been utilized a little bit better in the WWF. Definitely could have been a mid-card champion, maybe, maybe held the Intercontinental title at one point. Um, in WCW, they just, they just completely dropped the ball. I mean, this guy still had a great look. He could still go in the ring. And instead of making him just be himself, they put a stupid mask on him and just, just absolutely destroyed this guy's image. Fortunately, he kept the mask on because if he would have unmasked eventually, uh, I don't think the guy would have been able to recover in his career at all. But, uh, yeah, I was always kind of a fan of his. Always felt he could have been utilized better. Kentucky guy, your thoughts? Well, I don't want to be too harsh because he is deceased. I think that uh, I think most of the promotions that he was with actually used him to the fullest of his talent. I cannot believe you think that Power and Glory was underrated. <laughs> and I just, I just need to point something out here about <laughs> Hercules Hernandez. He is by far, or he was, by far, the most pellest person I've ever seen in the history of professional wrestling. That dude was pale. Now, rumor has it that they faked his death, dyed his hair orange, and he actually is still wrestling, goes by the name of Seamus now. I don't know. That's just a rumor. I don't know. But, yeah, I, I mean, I've, he's a big guy. But as far as his athleticism, thumbs down. And that's about most I'll say about the dead. Thumbs down. Let's, uh, let's get into my fantasy booking for this episode. My fantasy booking for this episode is... David Taylor Cash, better known by all of us as his in-ring name, Kid Cash. So let's talk a little bit about Kid Cash. Uh, Cash's father was a boxer, and Cash began training by the age of seven years old. He went on to become a professional fighter and worked in Japan. Cash actually met Ricky Morton from the Rock and Roll Express during his travels, and Ricky took Cash on the road with him and continued his training. Working as a welder by day, Cash wrestled on the independent circuit at night under the name David Tyler Morton Jericho. <laughs> he formed a short-lived tag team with Ricky Morton. So here we go. Kid Cash, I want to talk in this episode mainly about how WWE really dropped the ball with this phenomenal athlete. And they ultimately did. Cash went to ECW. And he started this gimmick. <laughs> and it was a ringer. For the music icon Kid Rock. Basically. 
He had a move that he named after that he a finishing move that he used to use that he named after Chris Rock. He also dressed kind of like him, and that was the thing. He was actually people said that he looked like Chris Rock, so he went with that gimmick, and that was pretty smart. That was pretty smart. A lot of people may not like, you know, uh, athlete mirroring someone else. However, I thought it was pretty cool. So, anywho, by this change of name and change of attitude, he won titles in both ECW and TNA. So, (laughs) he, he went under that name, and then he moved to TNA after having the misfortune of being signed by WCW the week before it was sold to Vince McMahon. And we're going to talk a little bit about that here in just a moment. So knowing that Kid Cash had won titles in both ECW and TNA, the ECW World Television Championship and the TNA X Division Championship, when he arrived in the WWE in the mid-2005, it seemed like the sky would be the limit. He was given a nice push right out of the gate, feuding with Juventud Guerrero and defeating him for the WWE Cruiserweight Championship at WWE Armageddon in December of 2005. His reign would be short-lived, however, as Kid Cash would lose the belt the following month at the 2006 Royal Rumble. The title was won by Gregory Helms. He would then be teamed with fellow cruiserweight Jamie Noble, eventually resurrecting the Pitbulls <laughs> and the Pitbulls name and gimmick from the former ECW Tag Team Champion. Remember, Jamie Noble and Kid Cash were not the Pitbulls in ECW, which kind of made this a little odd, but it's WWE we're talking about, so what have you. The initial push and quick title win for Kid Cash did a good job as established him as a serious threat. Albon, only the other cruiserweights, to elevate him to the next level, he would need to be booked outside of the box that he was in. Never came to pass. Never came to pass. Now, let's talk a little bit about why they never pushed Kid Cash, the mistake they made in not pushing him past just a cruiserweight. He rejected the offer from WWE. Well, let's talk about let's let's go over his interview real quick, and this will make more sense to everybody listening. So, the former ECW and TNA star Kid Cash recently called up with the Cup Pro Wrestling podcast to talk about the end of his time with ECW. Cash revealed that he ultimately wasn't aware that ECW had finally died out until seeing Paul Heyman's appeared on WWE television. Quote, the last few months, the word was that Paul was in New York and L.A. because he hasn't, he wasn't at the shows a lot of the time. He was out trying to push the sell of the show. And I know that he was out doing stuff in L.A. Well, then, come to find out, he was doing a movie. And I knew that he was doing a movie, but I was just going to work. I was just going to work while they continued to book me, I continued to get an airline. I continued to get a paycheck. I just kept going to work. Now, Paul wasn't there on a few shows, and you and you would hear things. 
But when you're in the wrestling business, that's an old saying goes, believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see. But we heard he was trying to get a deal with Fox and, I think, TNT. But he was working on getting a deal and working really hard. But that's all I knew, Kid Cash explained. Then, like I said, I got a phone call to not show up the last few house shows. And then, the very next week, when I saw him on the WWE, but then I started seeing Sabu and Taz and other people on the WWE, too. So maybe, you know, with anybody telling you, it makes you wonder, well, maybe we must be working something out with the WWE. Everybody's there, you know. But then I got a call from WCW with an offer. So I kept trying to call Paul, and I couldn't get a hold of Paul. Cash continued. Tommy Dreamer uh, would, would up and get wound it up, getting hooked up to where I could talk to Paul. And then Paul simply said, you want to go to work? And I was like, I do. And he was like, all right. And he goes, you still have time left on your contract. And if you sign over every financial amount, sign it over free and clear, I'll give you your release. So I did. We did it literally right there. I drove over to Kinko's, called him back, and we did it all right there. And as soon as that happened, I set my to WCW, and then WCW sent me an offer. And then I went to do the last thunder for them. Now, though Cash's run with WCW would be short-lived because like ECW before it, WCW would be bought out by WWE, Cash said they were willing to renegotiate his contract in the WWE. However, he wasn't interested in relocating. This would lead him in a return to the TNA Impact Wrestling, where he was X-Division champion and a multi-time tag team champion. Quote, it was very hectic. I think I wasn't there long. I was only there for about three weeks. I signed with them. I got brought in a week later, did a couple of dark matches, and then I got brought in the next week and did a thunder, Cash said. Then the following week, they called me and told me, I know you're supposed to be in Panama City, but we're just going to sit this one out. We'll be calling you next week. So they didn't call me. I watched what happened on TV, and just like ECW, nobody knew what was going on. Because even whenever I was there, when I was signed, and I got doing the dark matches, it was like business as usual. Nobody was talking about anything differently. Nobody was bringing up anything. Nobody was... I say almost a month later, and I was getting I was getting paid. They kept sending me my paychecks, but I didn't get that phone call. Next thing you know, John Lar- Here we go. Here's the meat and potatoes of why he's my fantasy booking. Next thing you know, John Laurinaitis did call me. He said, "Here's the deal. I signed a pretty good deal. Jimmy Hart worked with me a lot, and he worked with me on quite a few deals I had over the years." He helped me work that one out, and I signed and I signed a really nice deal for myself that I was really happy with, with the WWE. So he comes back and he says, we have a new company. We got so many wrestlers now that it's going to be a little bit, we're going to have to weed everyone, everybody out that we're going to keep, blah, blah, blah. 
events wants to keep you. Hit cash recalled. So what were we going what were we going to do is we're going to renegotiate your contract. And <laughs> and here we go. Your contract and we want to move you to Cincinnati and wrestle there until we call you out. And I'm like, okay, well, here's the deal. At the time, I was like 35, 36 years old. I was like, okay, I'm 35 years old. I own my own house here in Nashville, Tennessee. I've been wrestling for 15 years. I've been Kid Cash in ECW, and I've traveled the world. You know, I'm kind of well-known a little bit, not like Steve Austin or anything like that, but people know who I am, and you can push me, definitely, as a light heavyweight, so I don't know if I really want to be moving. Quote, I didn't want to move to Cincinnati, of all places. Get an apartment, so that means I'm going to have to sell my house, get an apartment for a few thousand dollars a month, and wait. And I was like, how long am I going to be there? And he was like, well, you know, this business, you could be there three weeks, three months, or three years. And so I called Jimmy and talked to Jimmy Hart about it, and Jimmy was like, in my opinion, I think you're better than that, and I think they'll want you later on. And I was like, okay. So I called back and found out what they wanted to renegotiate my contract down to, money-wise, and it wasn't good at all. Holy crap. I was like, that's a huge jump from what I signed up for to what you're offering me now. And you want me to go to a developmental ground and take a risk of getting hurt? And he's absolutely right. He was in his mid-30s, and he's going to be training with these young guys, and he could easily lose his entire career by getting hurt in a developmental ground place of Cincinnati. It's it's almost hard to believe that they changed this multi-million dollar contract to pennies. Pennies on what it was. So (laughs) So later on, uh, he noted, but uh, when I went on ahead and I did that just to show them that I could do good business and get in because I turned them down the first time, this is when he actually did go to the WWE for a while uh, during the ECW reunion tour. But they held that, you know, John Laurinaitis held that against me for a little bit. He also said something that was very interesting that I did not know that during his time in the WWE, because I always wondered why he didn't get over like he did everywhere else. They banned several of his in-ring moves. And here's a quote from him on that. He said, they came to me one night and they were like, try not to do the Hurricanrata. I'm like, why not? Well, that's Rey Mysterio's move. Oh, okay. Also, don't do the moonsault moonsault off the top rope. I'm like, uh, okay, why not? Well, that's super crazy's move. Okay, I couldn't do the moneymaker pile driver because they have a law, a rule, banning the pile driver. So my moveset changed in the WWE. It wasn't by choice. It's because they didn't want me to do that much. They wanted me to still tell a story, still wrestle, that kind of thing. Plus, the matches are like anywhere from three minutes to, I mean, if you got a 15-minute match, you were lucky, a very lucky man. Just 
really just dropped the ball all the way around on this guy. This guy was champion in several different organizations, including uh, Memphis Wrestling, Showtime All-Star Wrestling, NWA. Like I mentioned, he was the X Division. The only title he held in the WWE was the Cruiserweight Championship, and he only held it that one time for a month, less than a month. And I think that they really dropped the ball on someone who's going to go down as being one of the most profound... (laughs) I almost used uh, AJ Styles' word there. He's going to go down as a superior light heavyweight cruiserweight of all time. Your thoughts, sir? So that's a lot to unpack. Um, some of that, some of that, I didn't uh, previously know about Kid Cash behind the scenes. You know, obviously, it's never fun when you join a promotion and you're told, "Don't do this move, don't do that move." Basically, change up your whole move set. It makes a wrestler feel like they're handcuffed. That being said, listen, son, you're going from working in ECW and TNA. The WWE, it's the big leagues, and if you just can't cut it, well, maybe you're just not good enough. I mean, I hate to to be the bearer of bad news here. I mean, Kid Cash, yeah, I mean, he resembled Kid Rock, and I remember some of the stuff he did in ECW and even in the early days of TNA. He had some cool moves in his moveset, but, I mean, when he cut his hair and he became part of that tag team, the Pitbulls, I was never going to be able to take the guy seriously from... From that day forward, I mean, pairing him up with Jamie Noble was one thing, but stealing an ECW gimmick and just putting a different coat of paint on it and saying, hey, here's the pit bulls. I mean, I just remember shaking my head in disbelief. I was like, can't believe I'm actually watching this. Kid Cash, I mean, you need to get off the TV, grow your hair back out and and get back to what you were doing in the ECW days. And then maybe I'll become invested again. But uh I mean, as far as that I think the guy was talented, yeah, I'm not going to take that away from him, but I don't know if I'm going to rank him as one of the all-time greatest cruiserweights. Just my opinion. Um, but, I mean, I, I do feel for the guy as far as not being allowed to do what he's known for in the ring. That was unfortunate. Not being able to do his moveset is why... He didn't cut it in the WWE, my friend. I mean, that if you take away what I read off, four different moves that he wasn't allowed to do, most of your great wrestlers that go down in history, like The Rock, had it maybe, maybe five to six moves every single match. So you take away a wrestler's four or five moves, of course they're not going to come over and get over like they were in ECW and what have you. The Pitbull thing, I kind of agree with you on. I thought that was kind of, I thought that was odd. However, after doing more research and finding out about them taking away his moves and holding that against him, them, him not signing with them the first time, it sounds like he had to do whatever he could to try to get over. So that's probably one of the reasons why that happened. So once again, instead of blaming the performer, How dare you? You need to blame the company for not giving him the flexibility he needed to become the superstar that he was. All right, folks, so let's get into the WWE, AEW news and rumors around the water cooler. 
All right, first thing up, let's talk a little bit about Vince McMahon again. So Vince McMahon shocked the WWE Universe when he returned to the company a week ago. After retiring from his duties as the chairman of the board in July of 2022, this decision was a complete U-turn. He is now the executive chairman and has announced his intention to sell the company. The latest reports state that he is no longer going to take over creative as confirmed by Chief Content Officer Triple H. Vinnie Mac may return to television as soon as the WWE Raw 30th anniversary special. Here is what one reporter said, or one of the uh, inside the company said. He wouldn't be surprised if former WWE chairman made his presence felt on the go-home edition of Raw prior to the Royal Rumble on January 23rd. Quote, no one knows what Vince will do, but Vince will do what Vince does. The T-Rex has escaped the pin. However, if I was a betting man, I would probably bet that he appears in some fashion on the 30th anniversary of Raw on January 23rd in Philly. Following her father's return to the WWE, Stephanie McMahon, as we already discussed, resigned from her post as co-CEO of the Global Juggernaut Company. The two were reportedly having issues working together. While the reports concerning Vince McMahon's television return haven't been confirmed yet, it's safe to assume that he will want to be on the screen considering the significance of the Raw 30th anniversary show. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I think that, uh, from what I can tell, I think the WWE fans may not welcome him with an open arm like they did before because of Stephanie's resignation. And maybe they will. Maybe they will because he seems to, even as a villain, he seems to get over with the WWE Universe. I just know that there's a lot of people upset about Stephanie resigning and they're blaming him, 90% of them. Your thoughts on the first story? Tell you what, Kentucky guy, I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately about the career of Vincent Kennedy McMahon. Most recently, I watched uh, The Nine Lives of Vince McMahon on Vice TV. And I also watched The uh, Spectacular Legacy of the AWA. And I'll tell you, Vince McMahon, much like his television character, Mr. McMahon, in real life by many, many different people, many promoters, was the villain of this story because he expanded the WWF, what's now the WWE, across all these different territories, basically took away their audience, took a lot of their talent. Um, I mean, nobody forced these guys to come to the WWF, but they were lured, of course, by the idea of more national exposure and more making more money. And it upset a lot of promoters and, and a lot of different people in the business. Um would it be fitting to have Vince McMahon back on camera for the Raw 30th anniversary? Of course it would be fitting. But considering the level of controversy that has that he's not only uh, survived throughout his career, but the level of controversy that, that, that has surrounded him since his retirement, since right before and then since, since after his retirement, I don't think this would be a good move by WWE. I think, you know, if he's helping to facilitate the sale of the company in real life, which is what the rumor is, then that's one thing. Okay, fine. And then Vince McMahon's going to go off into the sunset once and for all. 
But I, I really feel like WWE still needs to continue to distance himself, to distance themselves and the product from Vince McMahon at this stage. Yeah, I just don't know if they have a uh, a choice with him being chairman of the board plus the uh, major stockholder. Who's going to tell him? Uh, no, you can't walk out there on camera, buddy. Can't happen. <laughs> I don't. I don't see them having much of a choice there, if that's what he decides. And you're right. I watched the Nine Lives after you recommended it to me a couple episodes ago, and he was ruthless. John Cena says ruthless aggression. Oh, nothing like the boss. And he was the boss. And he took a lot of talent, a lot of backroom deals, so so many things that I didn't even really realize. No wonder Jeff Jarrett's dad, Jerry Jarrett, hates Vince McMahon. <laughs> no wonder. Uh, he stole Jerry the King. He stole his talent, his main talent. Okay, next up, what did Triple H tell the WWE superstars Ahead of Friday night SmackDown. Triple H held a talent meeting before uh, before Friday on Friday night before SmackDown on January thirteenth in an effort to alleviate some of the concern WWE superstars have had regarding Vince McMahon's return and the potential sell of the company. The report noted that Triple H tried to dispel rumors of a sell being completed and said that it would take much longer to accomplish uh, if it were to happen. The game is still in charge of creative and will play a significant role in the near future by continuing to take the brand forward on an upward trajectory. So that's pretty cool that he had that meeting, and I'm glad he did. And I'm going to get your thoughts on it, but let me do the next story too since that one was kind of short. The next story is Edge's Return. Former world champion Edge has been out of action ever since he lost the I Quit match against Finn Balor at Extreme Rules 2022. The Judgment Day injured not only the R-rated superstar, but also his wife, Beth Phoenix. However, her PW Insider, both Edge and Beth Phoenix, are set to make a return at the Royal Rumble in 2023. It has been rumored that Edge is looking to retire after this WrestleMania. So there is a high chance that a major match is being planned for him. For now, it looks like his feud with the Judgment Day will continue and the ultimate opportunist will be out for revenge when he finally returns to action at the Royal Rumble. I think that uh, it's about time. I don't know. He can't just... They, he has to... He has to fight the Judgment Day. Has to. He took his wife out. That was just, wow. I mean, that was a great match and a great ending the way they did that with Beth Phoenix and Edge and the Judgment Day. But, of, of course, he, he they have to pick this up and put an end to it once and for all before he's able to move to anything else. Your thoughts on the last two news stories, sir? Well, so first, my uh, reaction to the Triple H uh, speaking to the locker room. I think it's a good preemptive measure. On his part, it's it's what you should do when you're the boss. You should reassure people, listen, nobody's in jeopardy here. I'm still calling the shots as far as the, the TV product goes. Don't worry about anything. Just focus on going out there and performing. 
you've got to do that. Is that that's called being a leader, and I admire Triple H very much for doing that. There is still that part of me that says, even though he's reassuring everyone that he's going to remain in charge of creative, still that part of me says that with Vince lurking in the background as the executive chairman, that there's a part of me that says I I could still picture him trying to insert himself in some way with the uh, with the creative storylines. Um, I hope that's not the case. I hope he continues to let it just rest in Triple H's hands, but we know Vince, he is a very hands-on individual and has always got to sink his teeth into something. I hope that doesn't happen here. Just let Triple H be the head of creative and stay hands-off, Vince. And then as far as Edge goes, there's 100% he needs to wrap up this storyline with Judgment Day before he moves on to anything else. I also heard that story that this is likely going to be his final year as an active competitor. I think it's great that he's been able to finally close the door on his career properly and really give it, a, give it the ending that it didn't get back in 2011. So I'm curious to see how they wrap up the Edge Judgment Day storyline once and for all. And I don't know if that's going to be his final feud or if maybe he might have one or two more feuds after WrestleMania or going into WrestleMania or if the Judgment Day feud's going to take us into WrestleMania. I don't know. There's a couple different ways I'm sure they could do it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it would be good to see it be, be good to see him and Beth Phoenix back on TV. All right, next headline. A lot of concern over Randy Orton's future. There's a lot of concern over Randy Orton's future. He also stated that the RK Bro is likely done. And this is from Dave Meltzer. As WWE has given Sheamus and Drew McIntyre the name Banger Brothers. Considering the fact that the company doesn't like to have teams with similar names, it is clear it is a clear indication. McIntyre and Sheamus are being called the Banger Brothers. A key question from the regards both Orton and Riddle as RK Bro would seem to mean there are no intimate plans for them to return because the WWE doesn't usually like to do the names on similarity. Randy Orton and Matt Riddle were known as the RK Bros and are former Raw Tag Team Champions. Orton has been on a sabbatical uh, due to back injury. Riddle, on the other hand, had, had a singles run after Orton was taken out, but is currently out of action in rehab. Orton... It's still unclear if he'll ever be able to step inside the square circle again. As far as Riddle, there were talks that he may come back once he completes his rehab. However, there are several WWE officials who think that he needs to, his contract needs to be bought out and he needs to be gone. Okay, so I don't. Here's the thing: I don't really know what to say on Riddle because I don't know if this is the first time. He's failed the drug test or not. I, I, I just don't know his background there. So I really can't comment on that. I'm going to say if it's his first time, I mean, you really, you're going to be a huge, huge hypocrite <laughs> if you buy the, if you guys let this guy go and it's his first offense because you've got Jeff Hardy comes to mind. There's so many of them come to mind that you let go that we know of that you did not let go. You actually brought them back. More than one offense. Now, if he's done it a few times, yeah, he needs to go. Randy Orton, man, I think that's a career uh, cut way too early 
way too early. And uh, I hope maybe, just maybe like Adam Cole on AEW, something comes through, a miracle happens, and he is able to come back. But it does not look good right now for the Viper. Your thoughts on that headline? Well, just I mean, just to briefly comment on Riddle first, I am glad that they're doing away with the RK Bro tag team, regardless of whether these guys are back anytime soon. I think it had kind of reached the reached the peak of its shelf life, and it's time for them both to move on to something else, if and when they come back. With Riddle, I mean, he's still young; he still has a lot of upside. If he did mess up once or twice. Okay, we'll give him a chance to redeem himself after he gets through mandatory rehab. But I agree that it shouldn't be he shouldn't be another one of those wrestlers that they just give him chance after chance after chance and he keeps messing up before they have to eventually just sever ties at that point. Um, now as far as Randy Orton goes, he um, you know, he's a legend in the business, the legend killer, the apex predator, the viper. Um much like with Adam Cole, with his injury, we don't know how serious Randy Orton's injury is or how much longer it's going to keep him out. I'm of the opinion that we haven't seen the last of Randy Orton. I think he's just taking his time, making sure he's healed and he's ready to go as far as getting back into the ring. Um, I don't know for a fact. I mean, he it could be too serious, his back injury. He might not be able to step in again. But... I'm of the opinion we haven't seen the last of the Viper. I think he's going to be back eventually, and he's going to go out on his terms. At least I hope so, because that's what he truthfully deserves. But we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I like the positive thinking. It's just, uh, I don't know if you follow him or his wife on Instagram or Twitter. His wife's updates are uh, pretty doom and gloom. (laughs) But... We'll see. Stranger things have happened. So, And I hope you're right. I hope you're spot on on that one. Next headline. Legend addresses rumors about Sami Zayn possibly quitting the WWE. WWE SmackDown superstar Sami Zayn, veteran wrestler manager Dutch Mantel, recently gave his two cents on the possibility of Sami Zayn leaving the WWE. Earlier this week, widespread rumors about the Saudi Arabia public investment funding fund buying WWE turned out to be false. Zayn has never wrestled a WWE match in Saudi Arabia, with reports claiming he is banned from performing in the country due to his Syri- uh, Syrian ethnicity. On Storytime with Dutch Mantel, the former WWE on-screen personality explained why politics should not affect Zayn's contract. He also commented on the future of the SmackDown superstar's real-life best friend, Kevin Owens. Quote, some people are posting online how many people will quit. And I'm thinking, well, I don't even see Sammy quitting, really, Montel said. I don't see Kevin Owens quitting. You just got to put it back in, the, in a personal vein. You're sitting in WWE, and you're making $2 million a year. Are you going to have a political ideology? Dictate your income? Vince McMahon recently returned to the WWE Board of Directors as the executive chairman to oversee the sale of the company. Speculation about the promotion's possible buyers prompted fans to question whether Sammy could quit if Saudi Arabia Public Infrastructure Fund takes over the company. 
Dutch Mantel is unsure where Kevin Owens and Sammy would go. Several former WWE superstars have appeared in other promotions in recent years, including AEW, Impact, and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Sami Zayn has not commented. However, if he is banned to wrestle, not on his own recognizance, in Saudi Arabia, why would they lift the ban just because they own the company? That's my question. If he's already banned, they probably he probably won't have to quit. They'll probably let him go. And that's crazy. I didn't even know that until I seen this headline. Your thoughts? I remember that anytime the WWE has held an event in Saudi Arabia, Sami Zayn has basically refused to perform there, but even if he wanted to, in my understanding is he wouldn't be able to because Sami Zayn is of uh, Syrian descent, and Syrians are not uh, looked upon very favorably in Saudi Arabia. Um, I believe I did hear this rumor somewhere that if the Saudi Arabia Public Trust Fund, Public Investment Fund, ended up purchasing WWE, Sami Zayn would basically quit or would be fired or some variation of that. And that's a darn shame because he's obviously one of the highlights of the WWE right now. And, um, I mean, he certainly, you know, his stock has gone up considerably in the last few years. So I'm not worried about Sammy being able to find a job. I am sure there are plenty of promotions that would scoop him up in a minute. Um, but it would really be unfortunate if this were to be the end result that the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund were to purchase WWE and Sami Zayn would subsequently be out of a job. And, you know, Kevin Owens potentially could follow him because of their close friendship in real life. But yes, I have heard this rumor. I, I, I don't like it. That's why I keep saying if WWE were to be sold to Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund, it would be a huge mistake from a business perspective. It would kill it. Not just the Sami Zayn aspect, but remember, the divas or the female wrestlers, they have to, like, they dress different when they do those shows. And, I mean, Saudi, it, it's just, it's asinine to think that they're even a potential buyer. Really, you're going to spend your entire life and you take over this company from your dad and you spend your entire life building this company into the national brand that it is to give it to these dictators who are just, they're going to ruin it. They're going to ruin it. There's no doubt in my mind. If they're the ones that end up with it, it's over. It's done. Triple H is not going to work for these guys. Stephanie McMahon, she's done. She's not looking back. I mean, I don't even think that uh, Khan is going to, would be able to work with them as a CEO. This, this is a mistake. This is a mistake. I, there's, you have Comcast, you have the uh, Pony Cons crew, you have other, if you're serious about selling, you have other people there that have just as much money or can come up with just as much money as this Saudi Arabia group. Stay away from these dictators. You're going to ruin your legacy. And I don't care if you do sell it, it's still your legacy what happens to the WWE, no matter who owns it. Because you started it, and you built it into it. Yeah, you were a tyrant. You broke a lot of rules, just like the documentaries. But guess what? It all paid off. 
you build it into something that we don't want to even go a week without watching or finding out what happened. So, like I said, it's stupid to even consider these guys in the ballpark. I know they are, but next next headline. Potential WWE WrestleMania 39 contest featuring John Cena. Oh, oh, oh. John Cena seemingly has an opponent locked for the showcase of the Immortals this year. John Cena seemingly has a, uh, let's see, a former 16-time WWE World Champion, John Cena is a household name that draws casual and lapsed fans to tune in to the programming. He is beloved in the industry veteran who now seemingly has an opponent for WrestleMania 39. There were rumors that he would be facing internet sensation Logan Paul at the showcase. With the impulsive podcast host claiming he asked Triple H for that bout. However, it seems to be out of the picture as a new report suggests that Cena may be facing a current champion. The WWE United States champion, Austin Theory, is often compared to John Cena as the former has similar character to that of Cena from the latter's early days. On the latest episode of Raw, Theory teased the feud in a promo segment using the phrase, The Champ Is Here, a slogan synonymous with the leader of Cena Nation. Theory was originally scheduled to main event the Toronto Live event that night in a cage match with Seth Rollins. However, Theory was pulled from that show to travel to Tampa, where he was set to film a segment with John Cena. We aren't told if that was to be digital or the future use for 2K, the game, but that segment was filmed. It was even rumored last year that the champ would be penciled in for about against Theory when Cena returned to celebrate 20 years with the company. Uh-huh. So, if he fights Theory at WrestleMania, he needs to lose and put Theory over. And once again, I, I've just got to be honest and tell you guys how I feel about this. Why do we need these old wrestlers for main event pay-per-views? Why? You've got the talent. You've got it. You've got it. And you've got it in NXT, too. you got Braun Breaker. you got plenty of people that you could bring up if you need talent for WrestleMania. Why? Why, why, why? Now, you're talking about not only having John Cena, you know, there's still the speculation that The Rock is going to be there, too. Why? Leave these old farts alone, man. It, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Your thoughts? Uh, well, there's one name you left off, uh, Kentucky guy. There's also a rumor we could be seeing another WrestleMania match from Stone Cold Steve Austin this year as well. I haven't seen that. Do you have anything to say about the John Cena? I, I do. Um, so, my opinion, unlike, unlike yours in this case, is that John Cena is synonymous with WWE. And even though he has basically become a part-timer in the last couple of years... John Cena, you put him in a match with somebody on the WrestleMania stage and he automatically is going to give them legitimacy and make them look like a million bucks. So I'm all for John Cena taking on Austin Theory at WrestleMania if that is the match that he's been penciled in for. 
We don't know that for a fact, but yes, it is a very strong rumor. Um, so I am not against it. I do agree that there are a lot of similarities between Theory's character now, my, minus the uh, when he was taking selfies of himself, and uh, John Cena's early character when he first debuted in 2002. So I'm all for this match, personally. We'll see if it ends up happening. And but but I'm just uh, no I'm glad to hear that John Cena is going to likely be a part of WrestleMania. Of course you are. Of course you are. Uh. <laughs> okay. I. Okay. Let's uh. <laughs> let's. So you like the fruity pebbles? Okay. Let's move on. Let's go to AEW Rampage results. Here we go. Darby Allen versus Juice Robinson. Winner, Darby Allen. I got to be honest, I thought this was a good match. A really good match. The right guy won. However, Juice still looked very, very strong. Even with Sting coming down to congratulate and celebrate with Darby Allen at the end of the match. I There was times I thought maybe Juice was going to pull this one out. But Darby Allen did win. And it not being a pay-per-view... That's how it should be. But still, Juice Robinson, if he sticks around in AEW, he's going to cause some waves. Your thought? I, I hope he does, because he he reinvented himself when he worked for New Japan Pro Wrestling. Um, Multiple-time IWGP United States champion and an IWGP, excuse me, GP tag team champion with uh, David Finley. And I'm glad that when his contract expired with New Japan that AEW picked him up. I do agree with you that this would not have been the right time and place to put the TNT title on Juice Robinson. There was no build-up to this match. It was just announced out of the clear blue. Um, but it was a good showing from both guys. One question I do have to ask you, though, Kentucky guy, you mentioned Sting. One of the other rumors is that he is finally going to retire in 2023. And one question i got to ask you is, hypothetically, could you potentially see his final match being a one-on-one -on -one contest with Darby Allen? He he is gone this year. Uh, I I can uh, confirm that to an around almost a ninety-five percent that he is his contract is up and he is gone. And no, I, I don't see that happening. And I'll tell you why. His entire career in AEW has been mentoring and working with Darby Allen. And I just can't see him breaking that. It, it would be a mistake to break that bond his last year. I don't know if he's going to wrestle any more matches unless it's a tag team match so Darby can carry him. But no, I think if, if he was ever going to turn, if they were ever going to turn on each other, I think it would have happened or been building to it over the last year year and a half or so because this is not new this is not a new rumor or new news about him retiring in 2023 it was always said when his contract was up with AEW he was officially going to be done with the business and he's done a good job in AEW he's done a great job mentoring Darby Allen and uh I think it would be a mistake is it possible anything's possible it's Tony it's Tony Khan for goodness sake writing the script so anything's possible, but I think it'd be a huge mistake, and I don't see it happening. I, I, I just don't. 
We go to Renee Perquet. She introduces the AEW World Tag Team Champs, the acclaimed Anthony Bowens and Mark Caster with Daddy Ass. And they're about to cement their legacy and cement for Hollywood when Coden and Austin Gunn interrupt them. Billy Gunn told the guns to put their hands in the cement. The claim pulled down the pants of the guns, and then Billy shoved the gun's butt first <laughs> into the cement. So, okay, so the Gun Brothers made this segment a little bit funny, but once again, this shows me that the AEW tag team titles mean nothing. They're just a big old joke because you went from swerving glory to these guys, these ass clowns, and it's just a big old joke in AEW. So why even have them? Let's make the trios championship the main one when it comes to tag titles because you have a true champions there in the elite. And let's run with them. Let's just do away with the AEW World Tag Team Champion belt. Your thoughts? Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, can't disagree with you here. It's felt like a total waste this entire segment. Um, can we just put the belts on FTR or almost anybody at this point? Because the acclaimed, like you ju- like you were just talking about, I mean, it, it seems like they're only good for comedy segments these days. Um, Max Caster, who's a member of the team, he can talk. I mean, he's got that whole thing where he comes out and raps each week, which I'll give him credit for that. But, oof, this was rough to watch. Really rough. Yeah, and I tell you, you, you know, if you don't want to put them around FTR, put them around this next group that we're getting ready to talk about. The next group was the Kings of Black. Of the Black Throne, House of Black, Brody King and Malachi Black with Julia Hart and Buddy Matthews faced Eddie Kingston and Ortez. The winner, House of Black. I thought that this was a very good match. I I love I love the mind games because when Malachi Black was leaving the ring after the match, he looks at Ortez and he goes, "Good job tonight." Very very odd, but. I'm here for it, and I'm glad that this team is getting the push that they deserve. Now they need titles, and they need those tag titles, in my opinion. Your thoughts on that, Matt? Couldn't agree with you more. I like the Kings of Black Throne a lot. Glad they won this match. I hope they can get over this Eddie Kingston hump very quickly and get back into the tag team title contention. I'm here for it. By the way, and I'm going to ask you a question real quick. Did they change the name of their group to the Kings of Black Throne, or is it still called the House of Black? I- I'm I'm confused. Whenever Brody King and Malachi Black team together, they're known as the Kings of the Black Throne because that was their name in pro wrestling Gorilla when they were a tag team. But the stable is still the House of Black. Gotcha. That mean, that, and that's what I thought. I just... Uh, Eh, I wanted a little bit of reassurance. I forgot about the gorilla. I forgot all about that. And then we have Renee Perquette again interview the Golden Globe Award winner, Paul Walter Hauser. I have no idea who this guy is, but they were interrupted first by Dan Hauser, who says he deserves a war because he sells more merchandise than uh, any other wrestler in AEW. And then they were interrupted by Jeff Jarrett, Right here is another tag team that should be going should be in that picture as well. Uh, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. 
along with uh, Sonia Dutt and that big old guy. Anyways, they interrupted and they actually took this guy out with a guitar. This guy's not a wrestler. He's a filmmaker, I guess. I understand Dan Housen coming out there and making it a lighter, you know, subject. He's a funny guy, what have you. But actually, Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal attacking this guy. It's not like this guy's going to team up with Dan Housen and fight against these two. I, I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. Your thoughts? Well, Paul Walter Hauser's an actor. I've seen him in a few different movies over the years. He's also on my current favorite television show, uh, Cobra Kai, which if you are not watching that, you absolutely need to check it out, especially for people who love the Karate Kid movies. But anyway, um, I give him a lot of credit for uh, getting out there and selling the guitar shot. Uh, thumbs up to Paul Walter Hauser for taking a taking one for the team. But um, Jeff Jarrett, you disappoint me yet again. You shouldn't have done one El Cabong with the guitar. You should have done two, because Danhausen, who gets on my nerves, was right there. All you had to do was hit him with the guitar, too, while you had the opportunity. And you went for the actor. Come on, Jeff. I thought you knew better than that, man. Well, he's probably... I'm afraid of Danhausen, so he's probably afraid of him. I'm afraid he'll put a curse on him, so... And then, and then we had the main event. Ruby Soho and Willow Nightingale versus Anna Jay... And Teo Melo. The winner was Ruby Soho. So this match didn't go as I thought it would. I didn't think that Ruby and Willow Nightingale would win the match. However, I have to be honest. For a, especially for a female competitive match, this was a heck of a match. This was brutal right from the beginning. I actually, and I actually didn't get up and leave the room or anything or take a break or anything when this match was going on like I normally do. Especially when Ruby Soho's involved because I just can't stand her. Couldn't do it couldn't stand her when she was a uh, Ruby Riot or whatever. Anyways, this match I thought this match besides the the first match with uh Darby Allen and Juice Robinson, I have to say this match just about stole the show. And yeah, I had no problem with uh this match being the main event. Your thoughts? I was pleasantly surprised, just as you were, um, Kentucky guy. I thought this was going to be a throwaway, laughable street fight, but they actually gave all four of these ladies a chance to show what they could do. So hats off to AEW for that. I still would have given the win to the Jericho Appreciation Society. I mean, you got you got to give Tay Mello and Anna Jay the W here. Even though I think Willow Nightingale has some potential, Ruby Soho, eh, could take her or leave her. But, yeah, I agree. It was a good way to close out the show. And then Dynamite card for this Wednesday. I'll go over them and then, uh, well, I don't know. They have quite a few announcements. Well, I'll do three or four and then let you talk about them. AEW TNT Championship match. Darby Allen versus Kushada. That should be a good match. That should be a that should be a really good match, <laughs> actually. Kind of surprised they're doing that match on Dynamite. But it is for the TNT uh, title. The AEW All-Atlantic All Championship will be defended. Orange Cassidy versus Jay Lethal. Oh, by the way, the first match, I'm going to say that Darby Allen wins that match. The second match, AEW All-Atlantic Championship match, I'm going to have to say Jay Lethal. You know, you have two... You have 
two title matches back-to-back in the same episode of Dynamite, why not change it up a little bit and have one of the belts change? Which I can't stand Orange Cassidy as the All-Atlantic champion anyways, carrying around in a book bag. Stupid. And then uh, the Young Bucks versus Top Flight. Young Bucks hand down, in my opinion. Your thoughts on those three, sir? Well, I think this could be a night where we see a freshly squeezed lethal injection and the new All-Atlantic champion in the form of Jay Lethal. It's definitely a possibility, especially when you've got Jeff Jarrett and Sanjay Dutt and Satnam Singh there in the background. So I'm going to actually go out on a limb. And this one time, Kentucky guy, I'm going to agree with you. That we're going to see a new it's champion. It's about time. Yeah, well, I, I I also agree with you that Darby Allen's going to retain the title, but Kushida's going to give him a heck of a match. I can tell you that right now. He's a, a very well-known grappler. had a long had a had a big run on NXT a while back, and yeah, he's going to give Darby Allen a good match. There's there's no question about that. Um, the Young Bucks. I mean, this is just kind of a filler match to get the crowd. Uh, to get the crowd to pop, I'm sure Top Flight's going to have a chance to show off their athleticism a little bit. But, um, yeah, this will be an easy Young Bucks victory at the end of the day. Next match, Brian Danielson facing uh, Bandito. Brian Danielson's fighting these matches to get to MJF. I don't see them letting him lose any match until he wrestles MJF. So he'll win this match as bad as I hate to say it. Ricky Starks versus Jack uh, Jake Hager. Ricky Starks, I mean, he's not going to pin and beat Jericho and then lose to Jake Hager. <laughs> so, I, I picked Ricky Starks. Willow Nightingale versus Tony Storm. I actually look for Willow Nightingale to maybe upset Tony Storm right now. I don't think Tony Storm is in the title hunt at the moment, even though she's the former champ. And I look for, and I see this Willow Nightingale getting a pretty good push so far. So, yeah, I can see that. And then the last thing is, Hangman Adam Page is supposed to have an interview with Renee Perquette concerning the match with John Moxley. I could care less what he has to say. So, uh, yeah, so my picks are Nightingale, Starks, and Danielson. Your thoughts on those three matches? Ooh, it's a tough one to call. Uh, I think coming off of the momentum of winning the street fight on Rampage, um, the, the AEW is going to want to book Willow Nightingale to beat Tony Storm here because I think, again, Tony Storm, it's almost like she's got to take some losses before they can build her up again. So, yeah, I also agree that Willow Nightingale is going to take this one. Whew, Bandito and Brian Danielson. I mean, this is going to be another good match. Great showcase. I'm a big fan of both guys. But, I mean, come on. You want, you want the American Dragon to show people just how dangerous he uh, he is, how much of a threat he is to MJF, and that when they then when they are eventually competing, he is going to put in that that label lock and he is going to make MJF tap. And as he holds the AEW World Title over his head, all the fans are going to chant, "Yes, yes, yes." So Brian Danielson is going to beat Bandito in this match, and then. Uh, Ricky Starks, again, a lot of momentum going his way right now. Always been a fan of Jake Hager's work, but he's not really doing anything special right now. They're, they're not going to have Ricky Starks lose this one. So I, I agree, Ricky Starks, all the way. Dude, you need to wake up if you think Brian Danielson 
is going to make MJF tap out. Seriously, you're having a nightmare or something. You need to wake up. Somebody needs to come over wherever you're at and just shake you really hard. Because you're in a daze. You're dreaming, man. You're dreaming. Brian Danison, yeah, he may beat Bandito and some of these other losers that he's wrestling until he gets to MJF, but he is not going to make him tap. He is. He, you think that he's going to take the custom-made world title that MJF just had made? <laughs> you need to wake up, son. Wake up. All right, let's talk about WWE SmackDown results. First match on the list. I was kind of surprised at the outcome of this match. It was a good match like I thought it'd be. It was for the WWE uh, Intercontinental Television or Incon- Intercontinental title between Gunther with Imperium versus Braun Strowman. The winner was Gunther, and he actually pinned Braun Strowman. That kind of surprised me. I didn't think they'd have a clear-cut winner like that. And that may be the end of that feud because Gunther's already been talking about, or Gunther been talking about who who he's going against next. I really don't know. I mean, I was glad to see Braun Strowman not wearing the Santa Claus pants this week. But I don't know what... I just don't think they know what to do with them right now. Your thoughts? Yeah, this was a hard-hitting match like I figured it was going to be. I did, You, uh, Kentucky guy, you were right here. You predicted Gunther to retain. I said it was going to have an inconclusive ending, which is still the way I would have booked it because I truthfully believe the Intercontinental title deserves to be defended at a premium live event and not just an episode of SmackDown. I would have liked to have seen them face off at the Royal Rumble, um, in addition to being in the Rumble match, both of them, hopefully. But um, it was a good match. You know, I don't think Braun looked weak in defeat here. Having Gunther drop the belt at this point in time wouldn't have been the right call. So... While I'm a little, while I would have booked it a little bit differently, I'm not upset with the end result. It's, it's understandable. Let me just say that. Yeah, Tegan Knox versus X Lee, the winner, Knox. I don't really have, I, I I could really care less about this match. I don't really have anything to say on it. It was uh it was a match, I guess. <laughs> Your thoughts? I mean, I personally, I like both of these ladies. I think they both could be utilized a lot better but i think they're they're both just really directionless right now like okay tegan Knox picked up the win but what's next for her is she gonna be challenging charlotte flair for the smackdown women's title i i don't see that realistically happening anytime soon um yeah it's just there were no stakes here and it's it's tough to get invested when there's no stakes they need those these two ladies especially with mandy rose gone now these two ladies, I kind of think they need to be back on NXT. I think they're going to get lost very quickly in the shuffle on the main roster. I, I don't know why I feel that way, but I do. Liv Morgan smacks the taste out of Raquel Rodriguez's mouth backstage. So then they have a match, and Raquel Rodriguez wins the match. Liv Morgan, I, I just don't know what she's doing. By the way... No Ronda Rousey again this week. Very odd. No talk about her. No nothing. And she just lost the title. Weird. Anyways, uh, Raquel Rodriguez was the winner. And then I'm going to say one more match here. Oh, Sami Zayn shows up at the door of the bloodline. Paul Heyman catches him. Says, hey, you know, Roman Reigns wants you to do this match with Kevin Owens on your own. 
nobody's here but me, good luck, what have you. Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens match, I thought it was great. I, I hated I hated the way it ended because these guys were going at it and they always put on a good match, but there was a little bit of oomph to this match. And they definitely deserved to be the main event of the night, and it was. But the Usos interfered. Kevin Owens ended up winning via disqualification. However, the bloodline did pretty much take Kevin Owens out. My lord. Solo put him on that table. I didn't even see it coming. And then he runs down and he puts him through the table. Jumps on him. Solo's a beast beast. I can't wait to see how he does at the Royal Rumble. But uh, your thoughts on those matches? I, I didn't see anything involving Liv Morgan this week that hinted that she had any connection to the Wyatt Six storyline. And I thought for a little while that that was the direction they were going in. Now I'm totally lost. I don't know what they're doing with Liv Morgan's character. Uh, I mean, as far as the match itself, it you know it was fine. It was what it was. I, I'm always happy to see Raquel Rodriguez pick up a win, even though I still feel like they need to use her better. Um, Ronda Rousey being gone, that doesn't surprise me. Um, I think the idea is that Charlotte Flair came in, shocked her, took her by complete surprise. Ronda's going to be gunning for revenge in the Royal Rumble match thinking that if she wins it, she'll get a shot at Charlotte. I don't think Ronda Rousey's winning the Royal Rumble this year. At least I would not book her to win the Royal Rumble. Um, so we'll see where that storyline goes. And as far as the main event, like you said, every time Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn get in the ring, it's, it's really great stuff. And my theory with this storyline, with the bloodline interfering at the end of it, is Roman wanted Sami to go out and just absolutely destroy Kevin Owens beat him within an inch of his life to the point that he couldn't compete at the Royal Rumble for the Undisputed Universal Championship. And when he saw that that wasn't happening, he sent the Usos and Solo out to take care of business for the bloodline. Um, I'm sure the match is still going to happen. I don't think they're going to change the storyline at, at the last minute here. But I think they want Kevin Owens to go into the match like uh, he's beaten up and he's not 100% so that Roman could basically pick up the pieces. Yeah, they, they, Kevin's going to lose the match, but they, they don't want him to look weak with the current push that he's getting. I agree. I, I actually agree with that. So let's go backstage, and now we have Adam Pierce talking to Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, the Banger Brothers. <laughs> what a stupid name. Anyways, they disagree on who, Drew McIntyre and Sheamus, by the way, disagree on who they're going to face next. And they disagree so much, they start chopping each other on the chest. So Pierce speaks up, and he says next week, he is starting a tag team tournament. Pay very close attention, folks, to how he said this. He's starting a tag team tournament where the winners will become the number one contender for the SmackDown, the SmackDown tag team title. Pierce said, they will have a match against the Viking Raiders next week. Shamans said in his tag team tournament, he proceeds banger after binger, whatever. So I'll let you comment on that before I get the last thing on uh, SmackDown. I thought that was very interesting. By the way, Judgment Day has won the opportunity to challenge the Usos for the Raw tag team titles. They're splitting this belt. It's about time. They need to split the one off Roman Reigns, too, and I think they will. 
Your thoughts? I, I mean, I agree. It's It's been a long time that the Usos have been the dominant tag team on both Raw and SmackDown, and it really is time to split the, the belts up again. Same thing with the world title. Um, so I think this is a really smart move. And we'll see who ends up uh, challenging the Usos for the belts. Now, the one thing I want to one one thing I want to say to caveat this whole thing is that just because the Usos lose one set of tag titles at some point, if they do, does not mean they'll be losing both. The Usos might lose the Raw titles, but keep the SmackDown titles and continue their dominant reign on top of that division. Could they lose both titles potentially? I don't know if we're, we're going to necessarily go in that direction in the storyline, but I do think splitting the titles up is the, the smart way to go. Yeah, and they're going to lose a set of them. They've got to be getting burned out doing both shows, and they're going to keep the SmackDown titles. I think they'll keep the SmackDown because that's Roman Reigns' show, and they'll lose the Raw. Just my thought. Judgment Day has been getting such a good push. I can definitely see Judgment Day maybe taking those titles from them. Possibly. We'll have to wait and see. So then, the last thing I want to talk about on SmackDown was, boom, the lights go out in the arena. And out comes Bray Wyatt. He gets in the ring, and there's a rocking chair, just like the old days, sitting in the middle of the ring. He has a seat. The lights are completely dark with a spotlight on Bray. He tells Green Bay that they are here. Then he laughs, and he says, it's wild how sometimes... We forget who we are. We forget what it is that made us in the first place. Wyatt laughs and said, sometimes all it takes is a little push to send you in the right direction. And then you understand, and just like that, it came back to him. He remembered all of the things he lost. And here's what he says. Very interesting. He goes, I am the color red in a world of black and white. I am the eater of world. I am Uncle Howdy. I am him, and I am Bray Wyatt. He knows who he is, but he asks, who are you? At the Royal Rumble, it will be his rebirth, a baptism in the dark. And as for L.A. Knight, to know that when the lights go out, he should run. I thought this was a great Great segment. I'm a little confused by it because he's all these people. I think that uh, the color red in the world of black and white, I think that has something to do with the fiend. The eater of worlds, we know when he used to call himself that when he was the head of the cult. He is Uncle Howdy. I, I just don't understand. We know Uncle Howdy is a different, completely different person. He is him. Who's him? Is that this Uncle Harper I keep hearing about? I don't know. A lot of questions after this, but I enjoyed it. And I think he's L.A. Knight, I wouldn't want to be in his shoes for it when it comes to the Royal Rumble. Your thoughts? I will definitely say that this was probably Bray Wyatt's best promo since he came back. I loved the fact that they did the throwback to his uh, early days when he started out as the cult leader of the Wyatt family in the rocking chair. There were references, like you said, to The Fiend, Uncle Howdy, Whatever his current persona is, which is kind of like an amalgamation of everything, um, it would be a huge mistake if Bray Wyatt were to not win this match against L.A. Knight at the Royal Rumble. I have a sinking suspicion that this might end up being a cinematic match or a partially cinematic match where maybe they pre-tape a portion of it and then we have the live action in the ring. 
It's just a theory of mine. As far as him saying he is Uncle Howdy, and I think you might have touched upon this in a previous week, uh, Kentucky guy, even though we know, the audience, that there is another performer under the Uncle Howdy mask. For all we know, Uncle Howdy, the real Uncle Howdy, could still be Bray Wyatt, because if you remember, when Bray Wyatt came back at Extreme Rules, he was wearing the Uncle Howdy mask and took it off to reveal his face and say, I'm here, and then he blew out the light in the lantern. So, there's nothing to say that even though Uncle Howdy came out to the ring, and, and there was clearly another person in the costume, there's nothing to say that Bray Wyatt is not still the guy actually in control of this whole situation. So, again, just my theory. You know, WWE, like I said, they're taking the slow burn approach. I know I complained last week. I complained because it didn't seem like there was storyline progression. This week there was storyline progression, so now I'm a little bit more invested in this once again. Yeah, I think it's something to do with a theory when he says, I am Uncle Howdy. I, I have to believe, from what I, everything I've seen and read, that the Wyatt Six are actually other wrestlers. I don't know how long it'll take for all of them to come out. However... The Uncle Howdy, I think he, I think maybe he means something like symbolically. I don't know. I don't, like I said, I have a lot of questions after that. I think they're going to get answered soon, very soon. And I hope some of the answers are tonight on Raw with Alexa Bliss. Now, when we go to the Raw match card, there is really nothing. Basically, what it says is what's next for Judgment Day. Judgment Day won the Gauntlet match last week. You become the number one contender for the Raw Tag Team Championship. And they did so by eliminating all four teams in the match. The last match saw Finn Balor getting injured and Dominique Mysterio replacing him against the Street Profits. The group has come a long ways after starting with a supernatural theme and then turning into some comedy with Dominique Mysterio. Rhea Ripley has also been a major beneficiary after being presented a big heel and later in a dominatrix row with Dominic. What will we see them do next? Will they be the ones to end the Usos' runs at the Tag Team Champions? I don't know. And then also what to expect. It talks about Alexa Bliss was encountered by Uncle Howdy when she revealed that, she, that this was her true self. Will we see more of that storyline after Bray Wyatt has announced his return as the Eater of Worlds? Bailey was able to beat Mia Gim last week in a singles match before engaging uh, with her backstage. Will we see a rematch between them also? This is all speculation. There's no nothing set for the match uh, for Raw tonight. Or does Becky Lynch have any plans for Bailey? Mustafa Ali was not happy with Dolph Ziggler passing on the opportunity to be a part of the tag team gauntlet match. Will we see them clashing this week? Who else will be announced for the Royal Rumble? So it's, it's all speculation is all Raw has posted at this moment. But as we've seen, even though they don't really give it away, they do a good job on the matches that they book. But uh, your thoughts on any of the speculation I just read? I mean, the main thing I want to comment on is I'm sure we're going to see more developments with, uh, with Judgment Day and with Alexa Bliss. Um, 
I'm sure she's going to be doing some sort of segment or promo. And I would not be surprised if we saw another appearance from Uncle Howdy. Uh, because they are building up to that match between her and Bianca Belair. And honestly, and, 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 and listen, I've said time and time again, I'm a Bianca fan. I like her. But this might be the right time and place to officially pull the plug and crown a new champion as far as Alexa Bliss goes. She could have a lot of momentum going her way if she were to beat Bianca Belair for the Raw Women's title. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with Bailey or Damage Control this week. Um, you know, uh, they're, they're, they're sort of like a little, they're kind of spinning their wheels a little bit right now. I'd like to see them do more with Damage Control. I feel they could be a much more impactful faction if they just gave them a little bit more time. But uh, Judgment Day, I mean, is just going to continue their role. And I, and if I didn't already make an early prediction, if it were up to me, Rhea Ripley would be the winner of the Women's Royal Rumble this year. Um, and as far as Dolph Ziggler and Mustafa Ali, I didn't actually see their segment last week. Um, but I'm sure they'll probably continue developing that in some way this week. Whether it leads to a match or not, you know, maybe it will, or maybe Dolph will have a change of heart and they will team up in the tag team tournament. Well, I mean, we'll see. Yeah, you know, you got two jobbers. And for the love of God, please let this be the end of Ponytail Girl's title reign. She has had that title way too long. Way too long. And I think on the next episode this week, we will be making our Royal Rumble predictions. If I'm not mistaken, it may be... It may be a week, a week from, yeah, it may be a week from Friday. Never mind. Yeah, it'll be a week from and Friday. And then, uh, we haven't talked about it yet, but maybe we, maybe we'll live stream, live stream the right way, <laughs> the Royal Rumble, uh, now that we got all the bugs worked out. But, uh, sir, that's all I have for this episode. What do you got? That is all I have, right, Kentucky folks, So you've been listening to Against the Match Wrestling Podcast. <laughs> With your co-host is Donnie Cage and the Kentucky Guy. Hey, I hope you guys have a great rest of your week. Enjoy Raw tonight. And as always, God bless and God bless America. Venture X card from Capital One gives you premium travel benefits. Perfect for seeing Taylor Swift The Eras Tour. Presented by Capital One. Ooh, I do love her. Earn five times miles on flights and ten times miles on hotels through Capital One Travel. Enjoy your stay in Suite 13. Whoa, 13? That's Taylor's lucky number. The Venture X card from Capital One. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com for details.